I'm continuing with my little mini-series on Samson. And if you like, last time I kicked off this mini-series, we looked at Judges chapter 13, and I spoke about the calling that was on Samson, even before his birth. You know, his birth, we know, was, was miraculous. His mother was barren, um, and he had an ange- she had an angelic visitation telling her that she would be having a child. And of course, we, we see other instances of that. We see it um, with, um, with Isaac and John the Baptist. And of course, we see it in Jesus with Mary being ha- receiving an angelic visitation and being told that she's going to have a child. But it happens also in the life of Samson. And of course, um, we saw echoes of the early life of Jesus in the story. Right at the end of chapter 13, it says of Samson, after he was born, it says that he grew and the Lord blessed him and the spirit of the Lord began to stir him. Just as it says of Jesus, the child grew and became strong and he was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. You see a very sort of similar parallel between something spoken over Samson and something spoken over Jesus in, in their early life. Um, Samson was called to be a Nazarite. That means he was going to be set apart for God's service. And Samuel and John the Baptist were likewise set apart to be Nazarite. Um, and, um, and I read from Psalm 139 that tells us that God knows us from before our birth. Just as there was a, a prophecy over Samson, your son, you know, you're going to have a son and he's going to begin the deliverance of Israel from the Philistines. You know, that was spoken over Samson before he was even born. So Psalm 139 tells us that God knows us before our birth. And if you like, my message that of if I encapsulate my message at that, it was that we too are known by God, and we too have a plan laid out for us before we are even born. You know, we too are called to be holy, to be set apart for God, and we too are called for a purpose, to bring rescue to others. It's not that we ourselves bring the rescue, but we point to the one who does bring the rescue. We point to Jesus, and he rescues us from sin and from Satan, from hell and from a lost eternity. And that, that, if you like, was a very quick summary of my, uh, of my message um, last time as we were looking at the story of Samson. And today, I want to continue and look at the story of Samson in Judges chapter 14. So if we can, uh, if we can put that up and we'll read that. I'll read the whole thing, okay? Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I've seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. His father and mother replied, isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among our people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? But Samson said to his father, get her for me. She's the right one for me. His parents did not know that this was from the Lord, who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines. For at that time, they were ruling over Israel. Samson went down to Timnah together with his father and mother. As they approached the vineyards of Timnah, suddenly a young lion came roaring towards him. The spirit of the Lord came upon him in power so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. But he told neither 
his father nor his mother what he had done. Then he went down and talked with the woman, and he liked her. Sometime later, when he went back to marry her, he turned aside to look at the lion's carcass. It was In it was a swarm of bees and some honey, which he scooped out with his hands and ate as he went along. When he rejoined his parents, he gave them some, and they ate it too. But he did not tell them that he had taken the honey from the lion's carcass. Now his father went down to see the woman, and Samson made a feast there, as was customary for bridegrooms. When he appeared, he was given 30 companions. Let me tell you a riddle, Samson said to them. If you can give me the answer within the seven days of the feast, I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 sets of clothes. If you can't tell me the answer, you must give me 30 linen garments and 30 sets of clothes. Tell us your riddle, they said. Let's hear it. He replied, out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. For three days, they could not give the answer. On the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, coax your husband into explaining the riddle for us, or we will burn you and your father's household to death. Nice people. Did you invite us here to rob us? Then Samson's wife threw herself down on him, sobbing, you hate me. You don't really love me. You've given my people a riddle, but you haven't told me the answer. I haven't even explained it to my father or mother, he replied. So why should I explain it to you? And she cried the whole seven days of the feast. So on the seventh day, he finally told her, because she continued to press him, she in turn explained the riddle to her people. Before sunset, on the seventh day, the men of the town said to him, what's sweeter than honey? What's stronger than a lion? Samson said to them, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you, had, you would not have solved my riddle. Then the spirit of the Lord came upon him in power, and he went down into Ashkelon, struck down 30 of their men, stripped them of their belongings, and gave their clothes to those who had explained the riddle. Burning with anger, he went up to his father's house, and Samson's wife was given to the friend who had attended him at his wedding. It's said that there are three main areas of character flaws in men. It might also apply to women, but it's particularly, I think, applicable to men. And the three areas, they say, are money, sex, and pride. If a godly man is going to fall, it will generally be in one of these three areas. And we see all three character flaws in Samson. Now, remember, Samson was supposed to be a Nazarite set apart for God, a man of particular devotion and holiness to God. And so firstly, we see, if you like, his sexual weakness in impulsively desiring a woman who just happened to catch his eye. Should an Israelite, should an Israelite be marrying a Philistine? Certainly not. Should a Nazarite be marrying a Philistine? Absolutely not. You know, they were called to live a higher standard of holiness as Nazarites. They certainly shouldn't be marrying a Philistine. But Samson, in his weakness, couldn't contain himself. He just had to marry this lady that he saw. 
And yet even in Samson's weakness, we see God using Samson's sin and his error to bring about his eternal purposes. It says, this was from the Lord. This was from the Lord. Now, I don't think that means that God told Samson to marry a Philistine, because I think that would be against the teaching of the Old Testament. Scripture would tell us that that's not God's command to him. So I don't think it means that God told him to marry a Philistine, but I think it means that God knew about this and made a way for it to serve his plans and his purposes. You know, Paul once asked, shall we go on sinning that grace may abound? And the answer he came back is absolutely not. But I take comfort from this story that even in our sin and messing up, God can use it. God can weave his story into it and make it for our good and for the good of the church and for the good of his kingdom. Indeed, it says all things work together for good to those who love God and accord according to his purposes. God is bigger than our sin. God is bigger than our sin. Secondly, we see in Samson a desire for material gain. Indeed, unfairly gotten material gain to, to give someone an, un, you know, an incomprehensible riddle that they've got no chance of solving um, isn't really particularly fair, is it? And anyway, what did Samson want with 30 sets of clothing? What were you going to do with 30 sets of clothing? You know, did he only want to go to the laundrette once a month? I, I don't know. Um, had God given Samson a special anointing and special powers, special strength, just so that he could acquire personal wealth? Is that why God gave special strength to Samson, so that he could acquire personal wealth? Well, no. It, it was given so that it says he could begin to bring about the deliverance of Israel from the Philistines. You know, and it's so easy for us to get caught up in making wealth, more wealth, our goal, rather than getting more of God. Do we want more wealth or do we want more of God? This addresses really what Andy was saying last week about not loving the world. The world tries to get wealth. The, the world makes wealth its goal. The world makes trying to be, get richer and richer, acquire more, you know, bigger homes, further holidays, all those sorts of things become our goal. But actually what we want is more of God. Um, you know, there was no fair way for those men to solve his riddle. And 30 sets of clothing were almost certainly going to be his. But the men used equally unfair means to beat him by cajoling and threatening his bride-to-be to get the riddle out of him. Who knows that the difference between you being unfair and me being unfair is that when you're unfair, I scream out, you're being unfair. It's the only difference. It's still unfair, whoever's doing it. 
And in Samson's response to all of this, we see his pride. We see his response of anger, which was his pride. He was angry that he'd lost the riddle. He was angry that he'd lost the material gain. He was angry that they had managed to outcheat him. He thought that he had got a good way of cheating them out of sets of clothing, and they managed to outcheat him. His pride was injured. And it's so easy to be like Samson in today's society, you know, to try to feel a bit superior, to get one over on somebody else, you know, by selling something perhaps dodgy on eBay or offloading a car on someone that you know is about to break down, selling it on to someone else, some other poor mug, it'll be their problem then, not mine. That's the kind of attitude that Andy was talking about last week, about, you know, loving the world. But we're called to live justly and righteously. We're called to live a different life. You know, and I believe God sees us all right when we behave righteously. Uh, there's a story of when we, Teresa and I, we got a caravan. We had an old caravan and we wanted to upgrade to a slightly newer one. And we bought this caravan on eBay. Um, and when we got it home, and it looked okay, it was in, a, it was in a, a sort of a barn, so it was completely dry and covered over and fine. Couldn't really, a bit dark in there. And when we got it home and we got it serviced, we, we, we discovered that actually the side of the caravan had come away from the chassis of the caravan, so actually it wasn't safe. And, um, and it wasn't really good to be towed for any different distance. It could have easily just fallen over, you know. Um, so what I did was I put it back on eBay, but with an honest write-up. I said, this caravan is not good for towing. I took photographs. I showed that you could see the light coming through where the, where the wall had separated from the chassis. Took photographs so that it was all up there up front. I said it would suit someone I, either who's good at DIY and can reassemble this thing or someone who just wants maybe a caravan to sit on their drive as an extra bedroom or you're going to tow it to a site and you just go back to that site year after year. You just don't tow this caravan far and wide. You tow it somewhere and it, it lives there. That would work. It was a perfectly comfortable caravan. So I was up front and honest about what was wrong with it. And I sold it for, you know, a bit less than I bought it for. But actually, um, I, I gained a good awning that still fitted my old caravan that I still had. So the, what I lost in money was probably a good price that I paid for the awning, really. And then when I did come to sell my old original caravan, which I'd bought for £400, I sold for £600. And it was still a good caravan. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. But I sold it for more than I bought it for. And I just think that's a picture of how God is to us when we behave righteously and uprightly and honour him by doing what's right. And, of course, you know, we, what we see in, in this story of Samson is that he didn't do that. We don't need to get one over on people. We can be honest. We don't have to boast in our cunning like, like some people can do. We just act justly and let the Lord look after us. Okay. But what else do we see in Samson? Remember, he was a man on, in the list of Hebrews 11 who was commended by God for his faith. And when you look at the story of Samson, you think, there were some things there he didn't do very well. He wasn't particularly good all the time. 
But he was one of those who was commended for his faith. And it says of him and, and those amongst him, it said that um, whose weakness was turned into strength. It says in Hebrews 11, it says a, a number of people, and Samson amongst them, whose weakness was turned into strength. And they're commended for their faith in God, which I find incredibly encouraging. Well, you know, clearly he wasn't one for sticking to his Nazarite vows, was he? We've already mentioned that he intended to marry a Philistine, which certainly was not in line with his, with his Nazarite vows. He throws a seven-day stag party. What do you make of that, guys? A seven-day stag party. I mean, you know, it's one thing to go for a weekend somewhere, you know, a weekend to Hungary or somewhere, you know, or, or as we know here, a weekend in Weymouth. Uh, those of you who street pastors will know the number of stag parties that you can get down here but seven days stag party with 30 guests and although it doesn't say that he drank alcohol most commentators agree that the implication is that he did drink alcohol on this stag party and that was forbidden for him as a Nazarite one of the things that he certainly did do was he touched the carcass of a dead lion if you were a Nazarite you were not supposed to touch a carcass anything dead because it made you ceremonially unclean and at that point, you were supposed to shave your head and begin the, the vow afresh. That was what you were supposed to do. Um, whereas Samson quite happily seems to just touch a carcass, scoop out the, the honey. At that point, he was breaking his Nazarite vow. And the other thing we see about Samson is he was a loner without any friends. It says he was given 30 companions for his stag do. They were brought in Philistines to come to his stag do. You know, where were his friends from the tribe of Dan? He didn't seem to have any. He had no friends. They had to buy friends in. He walked alone. How is it, how can you rip a lion apart and your parents don't even hear and know about it? He must clearly have been walking separately from them. He wasn't walking with them. He was a loner. He was unsupported and he was unaccountable. And we know that's fertile ground for sin to breed in. Sin, isolation and sin are parts of a vicious cycle. Isolation leads to sin. Sin leads to isolation. You know, when you're isolated, you don't see the point of trying to be good. Who's there to see it? You lose the ability to see things in the right perspective. There isn't anybody just helping you along to see things rightly. You begin to see things wrongly and you haven't even realized it. And when you sin, you don't feel good about yourself. And so you want to stay away from people. Because they might sense that you've been sinning. They might think, yeah, we can see the sin in you. They can't, but you think that they can. And so you keep away from people. And so it's a cycle. You sin, so you keep away from people. And you keep away from people, so the more you sin. Because there isn't anybody keeping a check and balance on you. And the cycle needs breaking. You need to be with other believers to be supported and kept accountable. That was something that Samson never did. It seems as if Samson never really put himself in a place of fellowship with friends. You know, friends who could tell him how honoured he was to be selected by God 
to be a Nazarite. God had a plan and purpose for, for Samuel. He wanted him to be special and holy and kept for him. How honoured that is. Honoured to be chosen and set apart. I'm, I'm speculating here, but you know it would seem that Samson didn't appreciate his calling and didn't really want to be constrained by its demands. He wanted to be able to do his own thing. And yet, God remained ever gracious, ever kind. He still came on Samson in the power of the Holy Spirit to fulfill God's purposes. And in doing so, actually, he enabled Samson to fulfill his purposes, meeting the terms of his wager with the 30 guests. How else would he have met the terms of that wager if God hadn't given him the power to go and get those 30 garments off the people. You know, I never fail to be amazed by the kindness of God shown in the scriptures towards undeserving men and women like you and me. People who blew it, people who messed up, people who sinned, people like you and me. Isn't that true? And yet God continues to show his kindness and grace and love. And God weaves his plans and purposes through our lives, even though we mess up, even though we sin. Somehow, God seems to know about it and make provision for it. Yes, he's made provision for it on the cross, obviously. He's made provision for our sin to be forgiven on the cross so that it's not we're not judged on our right our own righteousness we're judged on the righteousness that we get through Jesus on the cross given to us but more than that he seems to make provision for it in how things work out in how how life works out for us god seems to make provision even though we sin he seems to be able to weave his way around and through it and still bring out in us the thing that he wants. That's what God the Father does for us. So if my first talk on Samson was the message that we're chosen from birth and called for a purpose, then my second message in this chapter is, God is faithful, even if we are not. And he will use us, even through our weaknesses and sins, to bring about his purposes. Okay, the secondary message is that doesn't mean it's okay to sin. And by keeping ourselves accountable with one another, it will help us to not sin. But above all, our Heavenly Father remains gracious and compassionate and merciful towards us. We need to be assured of the grace and forgiveness of God. You know, if you know Jesus, Satan loves to lie to you and tell you that you're not good enough. Satan loves to lie to you and say, you've blown it. You've messed up. God's not going to use you anymore. You haven't met the standard. Satan loves to lie to you in that way. It's a complete lie. The truth is, 
there is provision for every sin that you make and I make, have made, do make, ever will make in the cross. There is forgiveness for every sin that we ever have made, do make, will make. And even in our mess ups, God still seems to weave his plans and purposes. We do not get cut off from the plans and purposes of God just because we mess up. There seems to be, amazingly, in Jesus, provision that he still uses us. He will still use you. He will still bless you. He will still bring good things, bring good things into your life. He will still use you to bring good things into the life of others. It isn't dependent upon us not sinning. It is completely dependent upon Jesus and upon his grace. Satan would love to tell you that God cannot use you. Maybe he did in the past, but he can't use you now. Not after that. That's a lie. God's used you. God will continue to use you. He wants to use you in this rescue plan that I spoke about earlier. The rescue plan to people to bring the salvation of Jesus into lives of men and women around us. People to be set free and brought into a relationship with Jesus. And that really, I, I take such great comfort in this story. You know, when I see what, that God can use Samson, and, and yet there's more yet out of the story we've got to come to. But when I can see someone like Samson, who certainly, you wouldn't, you wouldn't want to mess up in the way that Samson messed up. It wouldn't be one of your goals, or oh, I want to be like Samson. But yet, he's there in Hebrews 11 list. God commended him for his faith. God turns his weakness into strength. And if he can do it for Samson, under the old covenant, which was legalistic, he can certainly do it for you and me under this new covenant of grace and the power of the love of the grace of God in our lives. If he can do it then, he can do it now. And he can do it for you. And he can do it for me. I'm, I'm just amazed at the grace and the love of God. God, I mess up all the time, but you use me. You love me. You've got a plan and purpose for me. And it's all through Jesus. It's all through Jesus. Let's never forget that. It's all through Jesus. Satan lies, loves to lie to us. Oh, it's all about you. You've got, to, you've got to be right. You've got to be good. You've got to do this. God wants us to be good. He doesn't lead us into sin. He doesn't want us to sin. But he's made provision when we do in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks that in Jesus, you give us every good gift, everything that is required for life and godliness in Jesus. Thank you for his willingness to die in our place on the cross, that we should be forgiven. Thank you for his rising from the dead that shows that he has the power to forgive our sins. Anyone can say that your sins are forgiven, but only he rose from the dead to prove that it was true. 
So we thank you, Father. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you have adopted us into your family as your children. Let your grace be ever present to us. May our hearts be ever turned towards you. Help us to be accountable to one another. Knowing, Lord, that in one another we still find acceptance and grace. Because we're your people together. In Jesus' name.